Welcome to Angry Americans. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Welcome to episode 64. It's a big one. Ron Perlman is here exclusively. Fresh off his Twitter smackdown with Senator Ted Cruz and Congressman Matt Gates, And Father's Day is here. But first, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. I'm not interested in studying Antifa. I'm not even interested in studying the Klan or sovereign citizens right now. Because that is not the imminent threat that black men face on a daily basis. And right now, too often, it is law enforcement. Those who were sworn to protect and to serve. And people all across America have plenty to be angry about. Over the turbulent last few months, we've talked to many frontline leaders in the pandemic, and we've talked to many helpers. And for the next few weeks, we're going to talk to fighters, fighters who step into the arena to battle for what they believe in. On April 23rd, 1910, Theodore Roosevelt gave what would become his most quoted speech ever. He left the presidency about a year earlier. And he did kind of a cross between a sabbatical and a victory lap, kind of like Obama did. Except instead of kite surfing and going to French Polynesia, Roosevelt spent a year hunting in Africa before going on a tour of North America and Europe. He went to events and gave speeches in Cairo, Berlin, Naples, and Oxford. And in Paris, at the Sorbonne, he gave the Man in the Arena speech. It's one I've talked about before on this show, and it resonates now more than ever before. Roosevelt said, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. And the arena in 2020 is everywhere. And there are a lot of people with faces marred by dust and sweat and blood. From the streets of Atlanta, to the airwaves of Fox, to the halls of Congress, to, of course, Twitter, and everywhere in between, more than at any other point in our lifetime, there are fighters. Fighters like our guest in this episode, the incomparable Ron Perlman. If you're a longtime listener to this show, you remember taking a wild ride with Ron in his car across Los Angeles in episode three. It was pre-pandemic. It was a crazy time. But in comparison to now, it seems like much simpler times. Ron was making trouble then, and he's making trouble still. Good trouble. That's what the great civil rights icon and Georgia Congressman John Lewis calls it. Good trouble. It's also the title of the new documentary about his life coming out in just a few weeks. My philosophy is very simple. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just there's a lot of good trouble happening all across the country right now, with much more, thankfully, to come. It's led by fighters old and young, black and white, obscure and famous. And sometimes, good trouble requires taking a punch. Other times, it requires throwing a punch. And sometimes, it requires delivering a beatdown. A beatdown of hate of stupidity, of ignorance, of arrogance. And that's what Ron Perlman did last weekend on Twitter. If you missed it, here's the summary. Ron Perlman stood up for the U.S. Soccer Federation, which had stood up for civil liberties and the principles of our country 
by repealing its policy to require players to stand during the national anthem. So Ron stood up for them. And Republican congressman from Florida, an all-around shady dude, Matt Gates, took a shot at Ron on Twitter. Ron slammed back. Then Texas senator and spineless hack Ted Cruz jumped in. And he tried to tap in Ohio congressman and all-around terrible guy Jim Jordan. It was Hellboy versus a triple threat of slimy Trump enablers and apologists. And Hellboy, Ron Perlman, stomped them all. It wasn't pretty. And on many levels, it was petty. It wasn't exactly the Lincoln-Douglas debates. But it was an insight into our times, into our evolving political battlefield, into the soul of the American experiment. And it gives us fascinating insight into the bizarre, bare-knuckle intersection of Twitter, politics, Trump, Hollywood, activism, and celebrity. And it was a United States senator hurling petty insults at a guy he's never met to score cheap political points. It wasn't just about Ron. It was about Cruz and Gates and their type of politician that looks to gain influence with cheap tricks and insultingly stupid tactics. Unfortunately, They're increasingly the kind of politicians driving the conversation in America, especially in the Republican Party that's been contaminated and rotted by Trumpism. And of course, by our disgustingly rude, cheap, and petty occupant of the White House behind the barricades, President Mayhem himself. No matter where you fall politically, Ron Perlman's a guy you can respect. If only because he speaks his mind, he takes stands for what he believes in, and he's not afraid to tangle with a bad guy or two or three. He's also damn interesting and has one of the best voices anywhere. I think that the action of guys like Gates is to deliberately be provocative, to deliberately stoke division and hatred, and to deliberately dismantle anything that doesn't keep them in positions of power and wealth. In this episode... We connect with another activist on the front lines of our unfolding political battlefields, our unfolding political arena. Ron Perlman is a man in the modern political arena, throwing punches at a U.S. senator for all the world to see. He also chops it up with me about Black Lives Matter, what shows he's been binging during the pandemic, his favorite band of all time, and the epic question, pancakes or waffles? It's a raucous, fun conversation with one of the most controversial and entertaining voices in America. And Ron's also a father of two. And he's a real mother. But first and foremost, he's a dad. He's a dad of two black children growing up in 2020 America. And like any good father, he's not just fighting for his beliefs and for his country, He's fighting for his kids. So as protests continue, stupid spreads, the virus burns and anger grows, we'll try to bring some light and some levity to all the heat. And of course, we'll take a beat anywhere we can to recognize all the dads out there. But first... Before we get to our conversation with Ron Perlman, an update on my ongoing battle with Room Raider, and a status check on the Robin's chicks in a bird's nest outside my window, especially in these times, even as Father's Day approaches, there are some issues that have me angry, have others angry, 
and should have everyone angry. And it again begins with one of the three major storms engulfing our fragile nation this summer, the civil unrest, protests, tension that continue to sweep America from Seattle to Atlanta. Talk to me so you can see what's going on. After the killing of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, and countless other black men and women, the unrest continues. And so does the anger. And also, the peaceful protests. They actually far outnumber the sensationalized images you might see on cable news and on Fox in particular. But in Seattle, BLM protesters have taken over a few city blocks organizers are calling the Capitol Hill Organized Protest, or CHOP. It's about six blocks in Seattle's traditional gay and bohemian nightlife area and surrounds a now boarded up police headquarters that the mayor ordered vacated in an attempt to de-escalate the clashes between the police and protesters. It's pretty different. They've set up tents, they have speeches, they play music. It looks to me from the outside a lot like what Occupy Wall Street set up in Zuccotti Park in New York and other cities years ago. The city police chief calls it, quote, an exercise in trust and de-escalation which is dramatically different from the new hotspot in America for the storm of the protests. Atlanta, Georgia, is in turmoil. Protests continue. The chief of police has resigned. As footage continues to emerge from before, during, and after, the 27-year-old father of four, Rayshard Brooks, was shot to death by police outside of Wendy's restaurant. Police responded to a call about a man sleeping in a vehicle at the Wendy's. The cops showed up, gave Brooks a sobriety test, which he failed, and Brooks resisted arrest and struggled for an officer's taser, which he got a hold of. And this is what it sounded like. Brooks was shot and died in the hospital. And very soon after, the ex-Atlanta police officer who killed Richard Brooks was charged with felony murder. Garrett Rolfe was fired less than 24 hours after the shooting, and he's now facing 11 charges, including murder and aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. And the charges are the most serious possible. Here's Fulton County District Attorney Paul Howard. So these are the charges that uh, we have had filed today, signed by one of our Superior Court judges. Uh, these are the 11 charges against Officer Roth. Uh, the first charge is felony murder. This is a uh, the death that is a, as a result of an underlying felony. And in this case, the underlying felony is aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. And the possible sentences for a felony murder conviction would be life, life without parole, or the death penalty. The death penalty. The death penalty. This trial, and any related trials, and any trials, if they happen related to George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and others, will be like multiple Rodney King trials happening in the same year. And these trials, and others, will undoubtedly spark a second wave of protests and potentially a second wave of riots. And by Father's Day next year, the waves of unrest could continue, just like the waves of the virus. 
Last episode, I laid out how the George Floyd murder may become the My Lai massacre of policing. It could be taught to generations of police officers as an example of what not to do, just like I was taught about My Lai at Fort Benning as a young army officer. But that's not the case yet. And shootings keep happening. And so do the firings, and so do the protests, and now they include protests by police officers, as Atlanta cops are walking off the job in response to the response. So protests are increasing, tension is rising, but change is happening. Police departments, cities, and national leaders are moving faster than we've ever seen on anything since 9-11. Faster than they did on coronavirus. Much faster than we ever saw for school shootings. The pace of change is rapid. And what so many of us hoped would happen after school shooting, after school shooting, after school shooting. But we're seeing the biggest, most rapid change in law enforcement or public safety, as I think it should be called, in American history. It's not nearly enough. Black lives matter. And so do black voices. And many are powerfully, courageously speaking out, speaking up, and punching back. This man kneeled on a man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Can you imagine that? Can't get that number out of my head because it was my time of birth on my birth certificate. I was born at 846 in the morning. That's Dave Chappelle, one of the most important comedians in America, in part because he's not always trying to be funny. That's not his only mission. And his is not the only voice. Voices are rising up and making impacts all across the country and around the world, even at Fox News. You look at me and, and I'm Paris on TV, but I'm a black woman. Yeah. I'm a mom. And, you know, when, and you've talked about it, but we haven't, seen you come out and be that consoler in this instance and the tweets yeah when the looting starts the shooting starts why those words so that's a, an expression i've heard over the years and it do you know really where it comes from to, uh, i think philadelphia the mayor of philadelphia no, for what it, it comes from 1967 i was about 18 months old at the time yeah. everybody's shooting wiki because they probably got it wrong but it was from the chief of police in Miami. He was cracking down, and he meant what he said. And he said, I don't even care if it makes it look like brutality, I'm going to crack down when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Yeah. Um, that frightened a lot of people when you, you tweeted Well, it that. also comes from a very tough mayor, who I might have been police commissioner at the time, but I think mayor of Philadelphia named Frank Rizzo. And he had an expression like that. But I've heard it many times from, I think it's been used many times. Uh, it means two things, uh, very different things. One is if there's looting, there's probably going to be shooting. And that's not as a threat. That's really just a fact because that's what happens. And the other is if there's looting, there's going to be shooting. There's a very, they're very different meanings. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. That's some strong leadership from Harris Faulkner at Fox News. It's so long past the time that members of the media confronted President Mayhem more strongly to his face in one-on-ones. And, oh, interesting, should be trending and on some t-shirts. But this Father's Day, fathers everywhere, especially fathers of black children, are finally seeing change. 
The power of a driven father is a level of activism that's just hard to match. Just like we covered at length in our Mother's Day special last month in episode 58, Kristen Rowe Finkbeiner of Moms Rising joined us. Go back and check it out. We talk about Mother's Day in a pandemic, how moms and women, and especially black moms and black women, are disproportionately killed by the pandemic, which was burning hot just a month ago. And now it seems like forever ago. But it was just one month ago. One month ago, the pandemic was issue one, two, and three. But now, for many Americans, it doesn't even seem to be in the top five. But the pandemic is still raging. America's second inferno, with our second simultaneous storm of tumult, pain, and anger, rages on, sweeping up dads and moms alike. And it's being propelled with the quickness. This Father's Day, the stupid is prolific. And Trump is like the super spreader father of stupid. Trump is the David Koresh of stupid. Trump is the Antonio Cromartie of the stupid. If you don't know, Antonio Cromartie is the former NFL football player who's most famous for having 14 kids. 14 kids with eight different women. If you watched Hard Knocks on HBO a few seasons ago, you remember Antonio Cromartie. Antonio Cromartie has so many kids, he can't even remember all their names. I got Alonzo, who is five. I have... Um... Karis, who is three. I have my my junior, which is three. I have a my daughter, who just turned three as of yesterday. Um, I have another son named Tyler. That's a, he turns three in December. I got another uh, daughter that was born October 16th named London. Uh, another daughter that was born named Leilani, who's uh, two years old. And... Uh, I have uh, my newborn with my wife. Her name is Jersey. And Trump, President Mayhem, is like the Antonio Cromartie of the stupid. He has so many epically stupid ideas, he can't even remember them all. He's pulling troops out of Germany instead of having them there to oppose Russia. He's taking money from the Pentagon to pay for his Mexican border wall. He refuses to consider renaming military bases named after racist Civil War traitors. He has so many stupid ideas, he can't remember them all just like he can't remember to tell the damn truth. They have come up with things, and they've come up with many other cures and therapeutics over the years. These are the people, the best, the smartest, the most brilliant anywhere. And they've come up with uh, the AIDS vaccine. They've come up with, or the AIDS, and as you know, there's various things, and now various companies are involved. But the therapeutic for AIDS, AIDS was a death sentence. And now people live a life with a pill. It's an incredible thing. Oh, it's an incredible thing, all right. Because there is no vaccine for AIDS. No vaccine. None. Doesn't exist. And there's no vaccine for the stupid, which continues to rampage all across America. And in this next clip, I'd like to introduce you to, or remind you of, a man who we'll talk a bit about with Ron. A man who is working every single day to be the king of the stupid. Check this out. This is Louisiana Congressman Cedric Richmond, passionately making his case only to be interrupted by Florida Representative Matt Gates. What I don't want to leave this conversation with and why I'm speaking now instead of later is because I don't want you all to leave here saying, well, we didn't know. 
We didn't know that's how you felt, Cedric. I want it to be crystal clear, and I will give you the benefit of the doubt that it is an unconscious bias that I'm hearing, because at worst, it's conscious bias, and that I would hate to assume from any of the people on the other side. Will the gentleman yield? Sure. I appreciate your passion. Are you suggesting that you're certain that none of us have non-white children? Be because you, you reflected on your black son and you said none of us could understand. Matt, Matt, stop. I'm not about to get sidetracked about the color of our children. We're talking no, about black kids. I reclaim my time. You said that I reclaimed my time. I but know you want the discussion. I know the that gentleman, you want a bill? gentleman reclaimed his time. I said I claim reclaim my time. I already know that there are people on the other side that have uh, black grandchildren. It is not about the color of your kids. It is about black males, black people in the streets How do that you are getting killed. And if one of them happens to be your kid, I'm concerned about him, too. And clearly, I'm more concerned about him than you are. So let's be clear you're, about you're that. Claiming, so you're claiming you're I more am, concerned for my family than I do? Who in the hell do the you, you are? The gentleman, if the, the shoe fits. Listen, you don't know how much the we gentleman care about will families. Kick dog outrageous. holler. You should take those words down. The I gentleman care will about your family and love your family. The gentleman week, will suspend. It. The gentleman will suspend. The time belongs to the gentleman from Louisiana. Cedric, would you yield? Was, was that a nerve? Now, the old saying says success is a thousand fathers and failure is an orphan. Unfortunately, Assholes are not. They are prolific. They are many. They are multiplying by the day. They're a partridge family of bad leaders, an Adams family of idiocy, a Braden family of failure, a Brady bunch of buffoonery. There's no vasectomy that can stop it. And Matt Gates, he's the super spreader of the stupid. On the House floor, on Fox News, on Twitter, wherever he is, he's always playing for the clicks and the Fox News highlight reel. That's what he wants. It's not real outrage. It's a political tactic. And I'll have much more coming up with Ron Perlman soon in a conversation where you'll be glad you don't have to beep out our curse words because it's a podcast. But Matt Gates will drive anyone to curse. And it's important to note, he doesn't even have any kids. He's faking outrage. And he will be getting no Father's Day cards. He will be getting no neckties because he has no children and because he's a child himself like the legendary bad dads and moms of all political parties, like Bill de Blasio in New York, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, Acting Secretary of the Navy Thomas Modley, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Senator Rand Paul, Vice President Mike Pence, the mobs of morons taking guns to the Michigan Capitol to protest stay-at-home orders, and recently, the guy pushing hydroxychloroquine on dying veterans on Memorial Day, VA Secretary Robert Wilkie the looters after the George Floyd murder, and last episode, the radicals who want to totally eliminate not just police, but Paw Patrol and The Wire. But this guy, this guy, he might deserve it more than anyone yet. Because for him, it's not just an event. It's not just a speech. It's a career. And he is a true professional. I drive really slow in the ultra-fast lane while people behind me are going Man, he deserves it. Matt Gates is a master of the cheap, petty, callous, fake, and stupid. Ron Perlman plays assholes on TV and the movies. Congressman Matt Gates is an asshole in real life. And unfortunately, he's also on the House Armed Services Committee. 
Back in October, he led a group of congressmen who stormed into a secret facility at the Capitol in which the Democrat-led impeachment inquiry was conducting a deposition of a Pentagon official on U.S. policy toward Ukraine. And in doing so, they put America's national security at risk. The area, known as a SCIF, or a Sensitive Compartmentalized Information Facility, is designed to securely store intelligence and make it harder for bad guys and spies to get our secrets. But Gates and his buddies busted in with their cell phones into a secure room for a political stunt and a photo op. That's Matt Gates in a nutshell. He's all that's wrong with our politics. And as the stupid continues to spread all across the cabinet and throughout the Trump administration, most aggressively, it's hitting the Pentagon and the DOD. So here's the big news. Secretary Yesper, as we started to call him Yesper, because he says yes to everything Trump asks for, Secretary Yesper still has a job, but he remains on thin ice. Trump was up at West Point, where he delivered a bizarre and totally ineffective speech to a bunch of cadets who got dragged back to New York in the middle of the pandemic. And what's shaping up now is Trump versus the generals. Trump's getting it from all sides. On active duty, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Mark Milley is hitting him from the retired community. Colin Powell's hitting him. Retired generals like General Jim Mattis, General David Petraeus, and General Martin Dempsey are all hitting him from different sides. If Trump is like a virus in our republic, finally the white blood cells of the military and veterans community are punching back. But they can't punch back fast enough. Trump continues to dismantle, disrupt, and disregard everything. And he continues to push to pull troops out of Germany with a typically convoluted explanation. So we have 52,000 soldiers in Germany. It's a tremendous amount of soldiers. It's a tremendous cost to the United States. And uh, Germany, as you know, is uh, very delinquent in their uh, payments to NATO. And they're paying 1%, and they're supposed to be at 2%, and the 2% is very low. It should be much more than that. So they're delinquent of uh, billions of dollars, and this is for years, delinquent. So we're removing uh, a number down to, we're putting the number down to 25,000 soldiers. We'll see what happens. But Germany has not been making payment. In addition to that, I was the one that brought it up. Everybody talks about Trump with Russia. Well, I brought this up a long time ago. Why is Germany paying Russia billions of dollars for energy, and then we're supposed to protect Germany from Russia? How does that work? It doesn't work. Now, NATO hates this. Germany hates this. Our allies hate this. The only place that loves this is Russia. So hashtag our enemies are celebrating. Time and time again, what President Mayhem does exposes us overseas. And in related news, North Korea blew up a diplomatic office that it operates in South Korea. And three Indian troops died while engaging with troops from its fellow nuclear-armed neighbor, China. So make no mistake, as we eat ourselves alive, our enemies are celebrating. And America's Father's Day present is a mess at the Pentagon. And the ongoing drama should make you angry. And just to stay consistent, of course, there's the VA. You want to hear some shit? Check this out. A veteran was missing for a month and was found dead in a stairwell at a VA hospital. The guy was missing a month. 
The man who the district attorney's office declined to name was last seen at the facility on May 8th and had been reported missing on May 13th. He was found a month later wearing the same clothes as when he was reported missing. The VA's office is conducting an investigation, but a guy was dead in a stairwell for over a month before anybody found him. Nobody could find him. And for months, nobody could find VA Secretary Wilkie. But we found him now. He was at the White House. So was Trump. And he was talking. So, you know, that means he was lying. From day one, my administration has been on a mission of historic scope and scale to deliver results for our great veterans. After years of shameful scandal and neglect under the Obama-Biden administration, and scandal and neglect it was, we have fundamentally reorganized the VA from top to bottom, and we've reestablished a crucial principle. American veterans deserve the highest standard of care anywhere in the world, and that's what they're getting. Great leadership to help veterans get the care they need when they need it. We approved Veterans Choice and made it permanent, and that was a big deal. They've been trying to get it for decades and decades and decades. And we got it. We got it done. So Trump slams Obama and Biden over their handling of the VA. Then he says he conversely approved Veterans Choice, but he didn't. Obama signed Veterans Choice into law in 2014. And Trump continues to try to take credit for it. So Trump takes credit for the passage of a bill that Obama signed. Then he launched into slamming the Obama administration. And look, the Obama administration could definitely have done more. The Bush administration definitely could have done more. But Trump is a disaster. And so is his VA. And last episode, I flagged for you that the VA's protective equipment supplies are not ready for a second wave of coronavirus. VA leaders even admitted it before Congress. And they admitted that only 17% of the entire VA workforce had been tested. And here are the latest numbers. 17,634 total cases, up about 351 from the day before. They had 1,487 patient deaths and 35 staff deaths. And only 253,000 tests administered nationwide. Numbers continue to trend up in recent weeks, including active cases. But as I've focused on before, they only tested 253,000 people. That's an increase of only about 27,000 since last week. 27,000. So New York City tested more than that yesterday, in one day. Not even all of New York State, just New York City tested 29,000 people yesterday. The city of New York tested more than the entire national VA, despite the fact that the VA has hundreds of billions of dollars in their budget and just got a $20 billion increase in the last stimulus. So don't let them spin you. If they don't test, they don't know. And speaking of testing and not knowing, as Father's Day approaches, the stupid really loves to stay very close to its daddy. As I said this morning, that's probably the downside of having good testing is you find a lot of cases that other countries who don't even test don't have. If you don't test, you don't have any cases. If we stop testing right now, we'd have very few cases, if any. If we stopped testing, we'd have fewer cases? No, you dumbass. You'd have the same number of cases. You just wouldn't know it. Yes. Like how you haven't tested more than 200,000 veterans out of 20 million. So according to Trump's twisted mind, that means that veterans aren't getting it. So it's like when my one-year-old covers his eyes and thinks that I can't see him. But he's one, and he'll figure it out in about a year. Trump, he won't. 
And where is Wilkie? He's definitely been out there more often now, but he's out there lying and spinning, fresh off his outrageous defense of Nazi swastikas on government land and refusing to change the VA motto to include women, Wilkie was at the White House with Trump. They had a big press conference to announce a report on veteran suicide. It was a massive nothing burger. But here's what it sounded like. From day one, my administration has been on a mission of historic scope and scale to deliver results for our great veterans. After years of shameful scandal and neglect, under the Obama-Biden administration, and scandal and neglect it was, we have fundamentally reorganized the VA from top to bottom, and we've reestablished a crucial principle. American veterans deserve the highest standard of care anywhere in the world, and that's what they're getting. Great leadership to help veterans get the care they need when they need it. We approved Veterans Choice and made it permanent, and that was a big deal. They've been trying to get it for decades and decades and decades. And we got it. We got it done. Now, that's a lie. Obama signed it into law in 2014. I know. I worked on it. But President Mayhem never misses a chance to divide and politicize, even at an event on veterans' suicide. By the way, the plan has been delayed three times, but they're rolling it out now, just in time to deflect from other issues. So President Mayhem was at the White House raving about how awesome the VA was. At the same time, the VA found a vet dead in a stairwell who was missing for a month. It was another empty, over-politicized Trumpian talk fest. Every time President Mayhem is on the ropes, he pulls a vets or military card. He knows that vets and military are the ultimate populist issue, and he's always trying to draft off their popularity. Just think about the visit to West Point. Now, Trump is highlighting a vet suicide prevention public service effort, and that's, of course, important, and it's nice. That's why IAVA and the Ad Council did one 12 years ago. It's all stuff that should have been done long ago, far from groundbreaking. And one of the key spokespeople is going to be Vice President Mike Pence's wife, So somebody thinks that veterans are going to respond uniquely to Mrs. Mike Pence. Well, in the meantime, our friends are dying. 20 a day, every day to suicide. And the hashtag is my friends are dying. Just to be clear, this was only the release of a report with mostly obvious recommendations and a promise to start some more research. It doesn't even seem like any new commitment, no policy change, no dedication of resources. You got to watch this stuff. Look for the numbers, especially budgets. Without that, it's mostly just more talk. Speaking of talk, did you hear? Hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. Yes, big surprise. Hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. The FDA has ended emergency use of hydroxychloroquine for coronavirus. The agency says that the suggested dosing regimens are, quote, unlikely to produce an antiviral effect. So the FDA withdrew all emergency use authorizations for the two coronavirus treatments that Trump promoted despite concerns about their health and safety. So the VA revoked the authorizations for hydroxychloroquine and for chloroquine after a request from Gary Disbro, the acting director of Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. That's a guy I would listen to. But after reviewing the new information from large clinical trials, the agency now believes that the suggested dosing regimens are, quote, unlikely to produce an antiviral effect, unquote. So more science says hydroxychloroquine does not work, despite it being tested on veterans like guinea pigs. Well, surprise, surprise, surprise. 
So now, will the VA finally stop testing Trump's coronavirus snake oil on dying vets? It's an issue we cover at length here on Angry Americans. Vets should not be used as guinea pigs for President Mayhem's coronavirus snake oil. I guess I have to say that. But they want you to forget. They want you to forget about the second storm, too. The storm that could have been prevented. And the storm they should have protected us from. The virus. Total cases worldwide have now passed 8 million. There are over 8 million confirmed infections worldwide. 8 million. That's almost the entire population of Israel or Switzerland. Brazil is still at number two and gaining with almost 1 million cases and almost 50,000 deaths. Russia is number three. And interestingly, Russian President Vladimir Putin has created a disinfection tunnel installed at his residence to protect him from contracting the coronavirus. It's only a matter of time before Trump wants to do the same. And in Honduras, their president, Juan Orlando Hernandez, says that he has been diagnosed with coronavirus. So worldwide, the virus continues to spread. And thanks to President Mayhem and a wide range of national and local leadership failures, as Father's Day approaches, America remains on the top of the worst leaderboard in the world. We continue to have the world's highest number of COVID cases, 2.2 million, still more than anywhere else in the world by a lot, more than double Brazil and already four times the deaths of Italy. We have more cases, we have more deaths than any other country in the world. And we did it. We did it. We now finally have as many cases as the entire population of the city of Houston. We have more cases in the population of every city in America, except for now Chicago, Los Angeles, and New York. And now the total number of American dead is equal to the entire population of the city of Ann Arbor, Michigan. America is reopened, and there's bad news. It always comes back around. The virus always comes back around. More cities are pumping the brakes on plans to reopen after a spike in coronavirus continues. Miami's mayor right now says he's sounding the alarm and pausing the city's reopen after an upswing in COVID patients at hospitals like these. He's also seeing a couple new patterns today. Younger people testing positive more after Memorial Day. Those appear to be trends that are playing out across the country. States like Florida might be back open for business, but it's coming at a hefty price new peaks in coronavirus cases. If we continue on this trajectory, we're going to be put in a situation where we're going to have to make tough choices. Miami's mayor responding to Florida's 10,000 new cases in a week, vowing not to roll back reopenings, but freezing the next phase. And a new report says the U.S. could see more than 200,000 deaths from COVID-19 by October 1st. The projection comes as 18 states are still seeing an upward trend in new cases. The Institute for Health and Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington has raised its estimates by 18%, and it said Florida would be among the hardest-hit states, with an estimate of 18,000 deaths, up 186% from a previous estimate of 6.5 on June 10th. The Institute also raised its estimates for the deaths in California by 72% and by 56% in Arizona. So does this mean a second wave is hitting? 
Well, the truth is we're probably still in the thick of the first wave, so we can't even begin talking about what the second wave might look like. But they didn't listen. They should have listened, but they didn't. And now Texas, Arizona, Florida, you're going to pay for it. Your governors didn't listen. They tried to be popular. And now you'll all pay the price. And now, after a fun early summer, you really should. So beneath all this, we continue to lose 1,000 Americans a day. 1,000. America's numb to the human losses of this war. Just like in all wars, people got numb to the deaths in Iraq and in Afghanistan, and they're getting numb again now. So is this the second wave? Mike Pence and Anthony Fauci say no, but the agreement stops there because Beijing has canceled flights and China seems to be moving back toward shutdowns. And here at home, partygoers have been packing Arizona bars. And now the state is a coronavirus hotspot. Arizona didn't record its first 20,000 cases until June 1. But it took less than three weeks for the state to record 20,000 more. Because people were out in the bars. And our friend Chris Cuomo interviewed some of those folks that went to the bar. I know nobody had masks. It was crowded in there, just like a normal bar. Um, Why did you think it was okay to do it that way? And what do you think now? I think at the time it was more out of sight, out of mind. We hadn't known anybody who had it personally. Um, Governor, mayor, everybody says it's fine. We go out. It's a friend's birthday. It was a mistake. How do you feel about it now? You say it's a mistake. What do you want people to think? I feel foolish. It's too soon. Clearly, it's, you know, we got super sick almost immediately within days. Now, Cuomo got the virus himself, and he joined us back in episode 21 from last year, and I joined him on his radio show last week. But this is a reminder that leadership matters, and the governor told them it was safe. The governor told them it was safe, but it wasn't safe. And there's breaking news. Florida has reported a record-high one-day increase of 2,700 new coronavirus cases, and Miami is going back on pause. Remember Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, the guy who kept open the beaches, the guy who refused to shut things down, the guy who said this back in May? Our data is available. Our data is transparent. In fact, Dr. Burks has talked multiple times about how Florida has the absolute best data. So any insinuation otherwise is just typical partisan narrative trying to be spun. And part of the reason is that because you got a lot of people in your profession who waxed poetically for weeks and weeks about how Florida was going to be just like New York. Wait two weeks, Florida's going to be next. Just like Italy, wait two weeks. Well, hell, we're eight weeks away from that, and it hasn't happened. But Florida's gaining fast, moving up in the U.S. and actually catching up on Italy. And we found out this week that Black and Hispanic and Latino Americans have a coronavirus mortality rate as much as 10 times higher than white Americans when age is taken into account. But there is some good news out there. At a recent daily briefing, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced that New York City was on track to enter phase two of reopening on Monday, June 22nd. And so what is phase two? It means outdoor dining will be allowed. 
Uh, there's in-store retail with new safety guidelines. Uh, it doesn't apply to malls, which will remain closed. Salons and barbershops, real estate services, car dealerships, emergency building management, and offices with many companies still working remotely. Offices will reopen with new safety guidelines. New York is on the right track. And our friend Rosie Perez recorded a public service announcement to help keep it that way. In Brooklyn, there's a saying, spread love the Brooklyn way. Spreading love the Brooklyn way means respecting your neighbors. To mi gente, wear a mask. Please, the numbers in our communities are staggering. Let's help fight this virus. Get tested. Wear a mask. We will rise up. We will stand up. Brooklyn, stand up. New York, stand up. America, please stand up. And if you've never heard it, go back and check out episode 48 with Rosie Perez. She was one of our last shows before the pandemic hit. Easier times. And a very cool and inspiring conversation we had back at the Classic Car Club Manhattan, which is actually also starting to reopen. So big shout out to Phil, Jeanette, and the whole crew over there at the Classic Car Club. Hope to see you guys again soon. So the car club's coming back, and that's some good news. And there's one more piece of good news. There is a cheap drug that is showing promise to improve COVID-19 survival. It's not hydroxychloroquine. It's a cheap, widely available steroid that could reduce deaths up to one-third in severely ill hospital patients. There's new research coming out of England. The results were announced, and the British government immediately authorized the drug's use across the UK for coronavirus patients like those who did well in the study. The drug, dexamethasone, might make a difference. And Dr. Fauci said, bottom line, good news. There's significant improvement in the available therapeutic options we have. So that's great news. And this Father's Day, wherever you are, whatever you do, and especially if you see me and the family out in the woods, which you won't unless you're a chipmunk or a snake or a bear, but especially if you're a snake or a chipmunk or a bear. Don't stand close to me. Don't stand close to each other. Don't stand close to people in bars. Don't stand close to your dad or your granddad or your kids. Just don't stand so close to each other. And if you're out there on the campaign trail, definitely don't stand close to Joe Biden. Because right now, it looks like this Father's Day, Americans are looking for someone who'll be a good dad. Someone who will pick them up when they fall down. Someone will be there when they need them. Someone patient who will listen, teach, support, and console. Not a crazy, abusive stepdad who insults and beats everyone in the family while stealing the family vacation fund and offering the keys to the back door to the crazy neighbor down the street. This Father's Day, for now, it looks like Americans are feeling more comfortable with the idea of a President Biden or less comfortable with the idea of a President Mayhem for another term. But there's new polling, and it looks very good for Biden. A new Reuters-Ipsos poll says that Biden would beat Trump in a landslide if the election were held today, 48% to 35%. And 40% approve of the way Trump has handled the coronavirus, and 55% disapproving. I don't know who those 40% are, but give it time. The more of them that are infected, the lower that number will go. And overall, Trump's approval rating is down to 38%. But there is some good news for the president. Amazingly, the Reuters poll shows that people still believe Trump would be better for the economy than Biden, by 43% to 38%. Separately, and probably most importantly, 
A CNBC change research poll has Biden beating Trump in six swing states, Arizona, Florida, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, 48 to 45%. But Arizona and Florida are right now getting slammed with the coronavirus storm for the first time. Michigan and Wisconsin are still in the top 10 of coronavirus, and North Carolina is still seeing more cases. And with many spending Father's Day without their dads or having to FaceTime dad because he's in a closed nursing home, those numbers could change fast. And with everything changing fast all across the country, it should be no surprise that Biden's not in any rush to pick his VP as the VP sweepstakes continues. So that's our new VP music. But Biden's team is doing interviews and reviewing lots of paperwork, and he said he's picking a woman. And there are reports about each of the leading candidates. Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms was reported to be at the top of the list, but she's in a hell of a shitstorm and could be a risky pick right now. Same thing with Representative Val Demings of Florida, who's also on the top of the list. She's a former chief of police in Orlando, Florida, which could be a helpful pick or could be a risky choice as the popularity of the police continues to fall. And the New York Times has reported this week that Senators Kamala Harris of California, Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, and Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin have all been interviewed at length. And Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar seems to be falling. And two women with national security experience have also been interviewed and asked for their documents. Illinois Senator Tammy Duckworth, an Iraq war veteran who's Asian-American and lost her legs in a helicopter crash. And Susan Rice, the former national security advisor to President Obama and the first black woman to serve as ambassador to the U.N. She was a guest on this show back in episode 44 from the end of January, where she was very careful with me about answering questions about her future plans. But if you haven't heard that one, definitely go back and check it out. You also get to hear her talk about her favorite drink and her first car. As for the rest of the potential candidates, Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, who fought with Trump over his handling of the virus, is still in the running. And so is Governor Gina Raimondo, a centrist from Rhode Island, and Governor Michelle Luan Grisham of New Mexico, a former chair of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Biden advisors have requested documents from all of them. And Stacey Abrams' stock seems to be falling. The former Georgia candidate for governor says she has not been contacted by the search committee, maybe because she wants it too bad. But hopefully it's because she's woefully unqualified. She's an impressive person, but not qualified for vice president. And maybe that's what Biden and the vetting committee has recognized. But that's the rundown. And the rumors will continue about who Biden's going to pick to be his VP throughout the summer. And I've continued to say it's advantageous for him to wait as long as possible to make that pick. The environment is changing so rapidly and it helps him keep the disparate, divided and always fighting Democratic Party together as long as possible. Because once he makes his pick, the Democrats are going to do what they always do. They're going to eat their own. And when they do, I'll have to bring back that Walking Dead music. But another thing that's making a comeback is Trump campaign rallies. And it'll start with Tulsa. Trump is going to the city of Tulsa, which tallied 89 new coronavirus cases this week for its one-day high since the whole thing started. The number of active coronavirus cases in one week went up 182%, and hospitalizations almost doubled. And so he's going to throw a rally in an indoor arena for 20,000 people. And here's what Bruce Dart, the executive director of the Tulsa Health Department, had to say. He said, like any other public health official, I'm a little angry. Frankly, I'm afraid for a lot of people. It hurts my heart that we know this is a possibility and we're doing it anyway. It's like seeing a train wreck coming. 
Well, Mr. Dart, if you're angry, we understand. It's because you're paying attention and I got a podcast for you. But even though we're angry, President Mayhem does not care. He doesn't care about Tulsa. He didn't care about the cadets at West Point. He definitely won't care about some people at a rally. But he might care about John Bolton. John Bolton is back. Who is your daddy and what does he do? The former National Security Advisor's tell-all book is finally coming. And he sat down exclusively with our friend Martha Raditz. If you haven't yet heard that episode, it's one of our best rated. Martha joined us a couple weeks ago to share how she gets and conducts historic interviews like this one with Bolton. You described the president as erratic, foolish, behaved irrationally, bizarrely. You can't leave him alone for a minute. He saw conspiracies behind rocks and was stunningly uninformed. He couldn't tell the difference between his personal interests and the country's interests. I don't think he's fit for office. I, I don't think he has the competence to carry out the job. There really isn't any guiding principle uh, that I was able to discern other than uh, what's good for Donald Trump's reelection. You say that you were astonished by what you saw. A president for whom getting reelected was the only thing that mattered, even if it meant endangering or weakening the nation? Well, I think he was so focused on the reelection uh, that uh, longer-term considerations uh, fell by the wayside. So if he thought he could get a photo opportunity with Kim Jong-un at the demilitarized zone in Korea, there was considerable emphasis on the photo opportunity and the press reaction to it, uh, and little or no focus on what such meetings did for the bargaining position of the United States. So apparently Bolton's new book is filled with bombs. Bolton argues that Trump regularly gives personal favors to dictators that he liked. He backed the idea of more concentration camps in China. He asked Chinese President Xi to help him in the 2020 election by buying more U.S. agricultural goods. And if that had come out in January or February during impeachment, it would have certainly hurt Trump. Trump is also apparently unaware that Britain is a nuke power and asked whether Finland is a part of Russia. But if Bolton's out there hitting Trump for a while, it could have an impact on the election for sure. But strap in, it's going to get very interesting. And the more interesting it gets, the more difficult it gets, the more we need the helpers, the heroes. That's the theme of this show, and especially in times like this. We're living in the greatest time we'll ever see in our lifetime for helpers and for heroes. And dads are supposed to be the ultimate helpers. My dad helped me in more ways than I can count. And as the Black Lives Matter movement continues to change the face of our country, helpers continue to step up, including a guy who's been doing pretty well during the pandemic. So while you've been watching Netflix, Reed Hastings, the CEO, has been making money. And it looks like he's given some of it back. So Reed Hastings and his wife, Patty Quillen, say they're going to give $120 million to historically black colleges. It's the single largest individual gift ever to support scholarships at historically black colleges and universities. And here's Morehouse President David Thomas. This historic $40 million gift from Patty Quillen and Reed Hastings is an affirmation of the work that we are doing at Morehouse College to produce leaders who are equipped to affect change in their professions, communities, the nation, and the world. 
60% of Morehouse students are Pell eligible and come from households that earn $40,000 a year or less. This liberation gift will make a world-class college education possible for students from struggling families. They will gain the freedom to graduate debt-free and pursue their dreams of earning advanced degrees, opening businesses, and choosing careers in service without being tethered to undergraduate student loan debt. No debt. That means they can serve as teachers, as organizers, as social workers, as police officers, and they can be fighters. And we're going to need them more than ever. Good helpers know how to fight. And good fighters know how to help. And Ron Perlman's both. Ron Perlman loves America. Ron Perlman loves his job. Ron Perlman loves his kids. Ron Perlman loves a fight. And Ron Perlman loves Miles Davis. In 1971, Miles Davis created an album that was a tribute to the great boxer, activist, and first African-American heavyweight champion of the world, Jack Johnson. The great filmmaker Ken Burns once said, for more than 13 years, Jack Johnson was the most famous and the most notorious African-American on earth. And on July 4th, 1910, in front of 20,000 people, Jack Johnson fought a white man, James Jeffries, in what was called the fight of the century. Racism and racial division were a backdrop for every single element of the fight and of Johnson's entire career. And Johnson destroyed Jeffries. And celebrations and race riots erupt nationwide in more than 50 cities. It was more than a turning point in sports. It was a turning point in society. But throughout his career, Jack Johnson was harassed, abused, arrested, and imprisoned. And Miles Davis created this album in honor of Jack Johnson. He was inspired by Johnson's saga, and he pulled in rock and funk sounds and put together an awesome rock-inspired lineup of musicians that included guitarist John McLaughlin and Sonny Sherrick, drummers Jack DeJohnette and Billy Cobham, clarinetist Benny Maupin, the keyboardist Chick Corea, and the great Herbie Hancock. Miles Davis himself was an icon of music, progress, culture, and change. Miles Davis was a fighter for progress and a fighter for a future that he'd never see. Angry Americans continues our groundbreaking focus on the frontline fighters of the three storms of our time in America, the virus, the protests, the election. And this time, we have another important, inspiring, iconic guest that's on the front lines daily of pushing ideas on all three, a guest that shaped America's past, is shaping our present, and will surely shape its future. Ron Perlman grew up scrappy, and he always brings that scrappy attitude. He always brings the fire, always. And he brings an eclectic, intelligent, heartfelt, tough, thoughtful, raw energy to everything that he does. And it shines in all his work and with anyone who meets him. You may know him from Hellboy or Sons of Anarchy or Beauty and the Beast or Archer, but in 2016, days after the election of Donald Trump, as Americans stood divided, stunned, and shaky, Ron came to the New York City Veterans Day Parade with my team from IAVA and hundreds of vets from all across America. 
He was warm. He was kind. He was there. No PR team, no fancy entourage, no press releases. He was there, below the radar. Ron's often below the radar. Like when he walked into our office at Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America for the first time to say thank you to my team. He chatted, he recorded videos, he gave people who were doing hard work some encouragement, and before he left, he gave me a check. Lots of notable people came through my office over the years, but very few left an impression with our team like Ron did. And even fewer left to check. And even fewer came back to stand in the cold for hours and hang with a gang of vets. But Ron did, because he's like that. And I'm lucky enough to have gotten to know him. I was always a fan of his work. And I've grown to be a fan of the man. And after this conversation, if you've never heard him speak before, you will be too. It's an exclusive conversation with the brilliant and dynamic Ron Perlman, an ultimate angry American, and a hell of a good time. He'll take us through one of the wildest weekends of 2020 on Twitter and bring us back to what he learned from his dad. It's a hard lesson of integrity. It's a thoughtful sit-down of information. It's a stern pat on the back of inspiration. And it's an example set of impact. It's time to reflect on our fathers, our founding fathers. Our founding fathers were angry Americans, and many stepped up to lead against the British, to carve a new path, and to fight for change. Fighters who push for change are what America's all about. And some of them just go to work every day to put food on the table and be good examples. My dad got up before the sun came up for 43 years. He worked hard, and he showed me how to work hard. And he did his time in the Army when his number was called, and when he came home, he always did his part. He was a volunteer fireman, and he looked out for old folks in our family. He was a quiet fighter, the kind of fighter that built this country and the kind of fighter that will mold its future. Fighters are what built this country. And storytellers are what inspired this country. Activists are what changed this country. And patriots are what will carry this country. Patriots like you. Patriots like Ron. Patriots like my sons. Welcome to a lesson on how to stand up for yourself. Welcome to a conversation on how to fight. Welcome to an examination of our politics, our morals, our madness, our past, and our future. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 64. around the country and around the globe. This is going to be fun. Uh, a, our first ever returning champion, our first ever returning, inspiring, iconic, important guest, a man of the moment, a friend of the Angry Americans podcast, a member of the Righteous Media family, an incredible patriot, and one of the most fun people to talk to and follow on Twitter the great and powerful Ron Perlman returns to Angry Americans. Just so you know, I was angry before it was cool. You were angry long before it was cool. Lower middle class Jew, it's a birthright. We're all angry. <laughs> for good reason. And, and maybe for the, have you ever been trending on Twitter before, Ron? Um, not, I, 
maybe. I mean, maybe. Uh, I think maybe. I think one other time. Uh, but um, this was this was an uninvited delight that what happened to me. Oh, I mean, maybe maybe it was a little invited. I mean, you know, maybe there was a little provocation there when I go back into the annals of what went down. But uh, no, this was a, this was unexpected. Uh, uh, sheep walking right into the den. I, I, t- I told you when we were talking yesterday on the phone, it was like uh, they walked into your booby trap. And I want to get to that in a second. Okay. But, um, I'll hold been, off. It's really hard for me to like hold I'm gonna off. Let, we're going we're gonna to let it fly. Try to show some control, Paul. We're, we're going we're gonna to let it fly. We're going to let it fly. But first off, you joined us back on episode you, you joined us back on episode three. Right. Um, you were one of my very first guests when we launched this podcast. Last time we spoke, we were in your car driving through Los Angeles. I want to thank you for being an early supporter and an early guest. Now it's about you know a little more than a year later. You've been on Instagram Live with me. We've been collaborating on Twitter. We're staying in touch. But I want to welcome you back. And usually I have a set of questions I ask guests in our first and the first time they join us. And I'm going to mix it up a little bit for returning guests. So I want to ask you uh, a question. Usually I ask folks, "What's your favorite drink?" I want to ask you, "What's your favorite band?" Ron Perlman. That's a hard thing to pick, but artist or band, if you had to pick one, what Miles would it Davis be? Quintet. Say it again? Miles Davis Quintet, when it was John Coltrane, Cannonball Adderley, Bill Evans, I believe Philly Joe Jones, and uh, I should know the name of it, uh, Paul Chambers, I think, was on bass. And they, they, they only recorded two or three things together, but those were the greatest jazz albums you know, in the history of the medium. And so, you know, I'm I'm always going to disappoint you because you're looking for you. Look, I know you're looking for rock and roll. No, no. I, there, there, uh, there, this is like the car question, Ron. There is no bad answer. There is no disappointing answer. That is a beautiful uh, answer. It's an insight into who you are. It's a reflection of what a renaissance man you are, uh, one of, what a learned man you are. Um, and and I think recently, surely, yes. <laughs> I think recently an underestimated man. You are very politically active. We talked about it when you joined us last time. You're one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. You are an incredible patriot. You care deeply about your country and about our communities and about your states and the home, you know, New York and and California, the places you live and work. But um, folks, maybe they're living under a rock. But, you know, last Sunday morning, I believe, America woke up to, uh, you know, a headline they probably didn't expect. But you and Florida Republican Congressman Matt Gates in a Twitter fight, in, in, a, in a Twitter fight. So I want to unpack that. You're joining me pretty much exclusively. I don't know if you've been talking to other folks, but, but can we, I want to walk through that because it's, it's an insight into our times. It's an insight into our politics. It's entertaining as shit. Uh, it's, it doesn't seem to be over. But, you know, you were trending on Twitter because you were in a, a Twitter battle with right. uh, with another with another uh, political actor in and why I want to talk to you is because I want to talk as much as possible to people who are in the arena, and this is a time when everybody's got to get in the arena and everybody's in the arena in different ways. Whether you're running for Congress, you're out in the streets, or you're you know trying to push information on Twitter, but you 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 got into it with Matt Gates. So can can you explain to me? So you posted a tweet on uh, Saturday night, the thirteenth. And you said the U.S. soccer team called, and you guessed it, they couldn't give less of a fuck about what you two dipshits think. 
and that was, and you tagged Donald Trump and Matt Gates because they were criticizing the the women's soccer team, right? I think they were criticizing the soccer, whatever the governing body is for uh, the, the U.S. soccer team, because uh, I guess they came down with a decision that it was uh, not mandatory to stand for the national anthem and that no one would be punished um, who, who felt like um, they, they cared to express themselves in their, you know, that mirrored, reflected their own individual values. So that was their tweet. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I think Gates Gates initiated it, but he was including his dear asshole buddy, and I use the word asshole advisedly, um, our dear POTUS, uh, in that sentiment. And I think his tweet was something like, I'd rather not have a soccer team than have a soccer team that won't stand for our national anthem. So... <laughs> You know, thank you. Thank you for a little, little low hanging fruit yeah. there. You know, and I've never been one to, you know, not swing at a hot, you know, a hanging curveball. And so the hanging curveball is out there or, or he kind of maybe he bit on the knuckleball. We could to use sports analogies all day long. But then he tweeted at you at 1043 on Sunday morning. I believe the 14th was was Sunday morning. I'm, I'm, I'm reconstructing uh, this this political moment. And then he wrote, this racial justice warrior had no problem in Hollywood portraying the white supremacist leader of a motorcycle gang. And then he used the hashtag SOA for Sons of Anarchy. And then you wrote back, yes, sir. I'm not going to do your voice. Yes, sir. So true. So rewarding playing assholes on TV. Tell me, sir, how is it actually being one? And then it was on. So can you tell us what was your Sunday morning like? What was this? What was going on here behind the scenes? I mean, you know, I was expecting, you know, like most days during, um, you know, the, the time of life at the time of, of Corona, you know, to have a kind of a, a low key, no impact, you know, Sunday morning, um, maybe get dressed by around 1230. I, I never expected that. Um, this was like, this was like, um, the, the greatest, most beautifully wrapped Christmas present you've ever received. And I didn't know I was going to write, like, tell me, sir, what, what's it like to actually be one meaning asshole. It just came out. And, um, you know, you, 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 you you think twice when you want to like be that direct and engage with somebody, you know, no matter what you think about him, but Jesus, if anybody had it coming, it's this fucking tool, Matt Gates. I mean, he is such a fucking tool and he's such a little bitch and he's such a pussy and he's so um, representative of everything that is indicative of the, de the decay and the cynicism that is this growing malaise that is enshrouded in, in, in what things that we should be caring about as a nation. But there's a group of guys that have, um, um, you know, taken upon themselves to um, uh, use as, um, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, anyway, I think that the the action of of 
guys like Gates is to deliberately be provocative, to deliberately stoke division and hatred, and to deliberately dismantle um, anything that doesn't keep them in positions of power and wealth. Mm. Everything else about the American um, experiment, this great, beautiful, wonderful, ugly, you know, uh, messy malaise that we find ourselves in, which as Winston Churchill once said, you know, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. Right. You know, and um, here we have guys that, you know, this is their technique is to, is to make us disgusted with the things that we should be, you know, holding near and dear to our hearts and, and fighting and dying for. I, I, think, I think that's why people rallied behind this. And just to set, you know, the context here, your, your, your response to him got 360,000 likes. Right. right. That's more than some cable news shows get for ratings. 51,000 retweets. And, and this became, you know, a publicly watched fight. Right. And I think Gates, for folks who don't know, is, is probably more of a water carrier for Trump than just about anybody in the administration. But he's also he's also seems to be constantly wearing that mantle of the provocateur. He, I think he's hosted as he filled in for Hannity at times or he hosts on he's on Fox a lot. It looks like he's always kind of positioning for uh, a, a TV spot, right? He wants to be a bomb thrower. He doesn't seem to be a serious policymaker. I read that he actually grew up in the house where the Truman Show was filmed. So his entire life is kind of this, this display. And do you think, Ron, that he thought, like, this, this kind of is like uh, a guy picking a fight with somebody thinking they can take him uh, and underestimating him. And maybe, you know, frankly, you know, he's like 38 years old, you're 70. It's like one of those videos you watch on YouTube when a young guy picks a fight with an old dude and the old dude is patient and just turns around and clocks him and floors him. Like, that's what it felt like. I think that's why America stood up. And, and he, I don't think he knew who he was messing with. I also don't think he knew your popularity across partisan lines. Like, you know, he's trying to label you a, and we'll get to it, he tries to label you, a, you know, a left-wing liberal. You're not Sean Penn. You're not, you know, you, you, your audience isn't uh, Taylor Swift. Like, you know, your audience is really diverse. I would probably venture to say it's probably majority male. It's a lot of people in Florida and in red states and in blue states and from all different backgrounds. But you're probably closest to his base than anybody when it comes to the audience that follows you, right? I don't know. I think that he he felt like he was able to, you know, what drafting is when you're in formula yeah. one, you get behind the guy who's in the lead and you just, yeah. you know, you use his, his um, forward thrust to just, you know, you have a sandwich while he's doing all the work, you know? Yeah. I think that he was going to take the, the sons of anarchy kind of brand and, um, you know, mine that for some strange twisted self-serving thing. You know, I think that he saw uh, some bright, shiny object in going after somebody who, you know, is so representative of a certain kind of point of view in, in you know, in, in our culture, playing a, a Hell's Angels-like organization. 
which he termed as white supremacist. And we're not, we were racist, but we weren't white supremacists. So he had, he even had that wrong. But, um, and so you wrote, you know, this, this goes on, right? Oh, it goes on. This, that's the sick part about it. Yeah, this goes on. I wish maybe, you know, next time we do this, you can actually read your, your tweets in your voice. You're doing better than me. I can't do it justice. But, you know, at some point he writes back and says, honestly, the fact that Hollywood thinks I'm an asshole is a badge of honor. You wouldn't be retweeting. You wouldn't be tweeting about me if my message weren't true and effective. Threatens your wokeness. How triggered will you be when Donald Trump is reelected? More or less when crooked lost. Uh, more or less than when crooked lost. And then you wrote back. Speaking speaking of woke, Maddie caps. Do you think it's just Hollywood that thinks you're an asshole? I'll read the comments. I'll wait. And while we're at it, fuck boy. Uh, what is this shit about playing your crowd with dog whistles like Hollywood, making them think culture is the thing that's keeping them down when it's really you and your greed? Now, again, 50,000 people are liking these tweets and everyone is watching. What's going on in your house or head when this is happening? I mean, this is like, um, you know, I can't tell you, you know, like I may have trouble recounting it now because I'm even salivating now. You think I'm <laughs> salivating now. You should have seen me Sunday because the thing of it is, is that, and you know, if you go down one, one or two tweets later, you know, he keeps coming at me, even though um, it's clear he should have known, dude, this is, you, you know, you can only look bad. Right. You know, there's no win in this one. You can only look bad. This guy clearly doesn't give a fuck what he says. He doesn't give a fuck what anybody thinks. He's taking you out like Chinese food. And yet he keeps coming. And so he, at one point I wrote to him, are you really, are you really still here, bro? I mean, yeah, he said what he wrote is dude. And, and now if we're at five o'clock now, so it's going on throughout Sunday, there's no football, you know, NASCAR was delayed. So everybody's watching. Uh, and it says, you know, dude, I represent a district of 700K that elected me with about two thirds of the vote uh, the last three times I've been on the ballot. Um, didn't, didn't, it wasn't his father a politician. And, and he, to speaking of drafting, I think his father had been a politician and he drafted off his father. So that, that's one issue. But then he said, blue check marks don't scare me any more than your fictional white supremacy motorcycle gang. Leave the tough guy comments for those of us who faced voters. Now, he, this, is a, this is vintage where he calls you a blue check, but he's a blue check, right? Meaning he's verified by Twitter. Um, and then you wrote back, Matt, you really want to keep going. I've been schooling you all day. I'll school you all night. Let me know. And then you wrote back, you know, you, you know what? You're right. A guy who wins a totally gerrymandered district with daddy's money deserves our deepest admiration. You're right. I only play scumbags and grifters. You're the real deal. That one got 65,000 likes. <laughs> so your ratings are through the roof here. <laughs> you know, pretty clever stuff now that, I, now that I think about it. Very clever. Very, very clever. Uh, and then, you know, just to, just to, to shape this up, P.S., you said you're lucky for this guy, Matt. If it weren't for him, you'd be the ugliest politician walking, talking about um, um, Jim. Uh, uh, Jim Thank you, Jeff Jordan. Jim Jordan, Jeff, Jeff Jordan. Jim Jordan, the guy who doesn't, who doesn't deign to wear a sports jacket, you know. Right, right. Right. And then he keeps coming at you. He says, gerrymandered district, the western and northern borders of my district are in Alabama, where he, is, he was rumored to have uh, uh, been considering a run for the Senate. Uh, and he said, the southern boundary is the Gulf of Mexico. It's utterly impossible to gerrymander try again. 
Uh, and then you wrote back, which I really want to give you a chance to talk about. You wrote, try again, dude, you brought a Holocaust denier to the State of the Union. Doesn't get sicker than that. Buzz off, punk, it's past your bedtime. So this is building toward, uh, you know, the, 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 the tap-in of the celebrity player. But before we get to that, he, he, he brought a Holocaust denier to the State of the Union, right? And yeah. said he didn't know about his past. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm sure he didn't know about his past. You know. So what's going on at that point, Ron? We're, we're, now we're, uh, we're at 10 o'clock on Saturday I'm actually, night. I'm actually in the car driving to get dinner from one of our local you know, restaurants that's trying to stay afloat by doing takeout. Right. And I'm looking at my fucking thing, and, and he's, he's still coming at me. And I'm starting to feel like um, this is no longer uh, challenging because the guy is clearly like there's something um, really fucked up about his wiring when he keeps getting punched in the face and keeps wanting to come back for more, knowing that he's going to get punched again. So now I feel like I'm actually helping him in his sick, twisted, um, fetish-oriented kind of like sense of getting pleasure out of, out of being punished, you know. He's, 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 he's punching up. I mean, he's got about 500,000 twi- followers on Twitter. You're, you're, you know, now after this, you're close to your own. You're, ta- you're tapping on a million. You're close to a million. So I think, you know, the old rule is, is don't punch down or don't feed the trolls. But here, I under- everybody understands probably why you engaged here. You chose to engage. And, you know, you're going back and forth uh, with, with, with Gates. And then do you go to bed that night? Did you sleep that night? You got your takeout and... What was what was that night like? In, in I North thought I, I thought buzz off past your bedtime was clear. Like regardless of what you send me, that's it. I'm done. And you know we have our our evening. We eat our dinner. We have our you know a couple of cocktails and you know watch a couple episodes of you know The Sopranos, which is the show that I'm currently catching up on. Uh, my coronavirus viewing has afforded me catching up with a great deal of great stuff that I was never able to, to watch in real time. And I'm figuring it's done. And, you know, at about 10 o'clock, 1030, I get in bed and there's, like, you know, the tweet of my dreams, you know, Ted Cruz. So hold on, let's cover before we get to that. Yeah. Um, what, what else have you been watching Sopranos and what else has, has not been on your, have you not been able to watch until now? And you, you never appeared in Sopranos, did you? I feel like no, that would have been a perfect appeared. show for you to have some kind of dastardly role in. Yeah, um, no, no, never appeared in the Sopranos. What else have you been, 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 been binging or watching during the I pandemic? watched all of Homeland, oh. which um, is for somebody who is, oh, you know, a political junkie. Um, that's, that's a quintessential conflagration of phenomenal storytelling, you know, great production value, great acting, and having their finger on the pulse of the movers and shakers who, who, who lurk in the shadows and who are having more of an impact on our daily lives than anybody is, you know, able to even comprehend. So that was like, that, that was like eight seasons. That kept me busy for a minute. Um, I'm only able to, you know, what with the drinking and everything, I'm only able to, to get <laughs> nice. three episodes yeah. a night in top. So your phone, uh, your, your phone is dinging. I don't know. This, this would be very, very fun if, if during this, uh, you know, if these guys continue to, to engage us. 
But uh, I'm so really we surprised all, I haven't heard from Jim Jordan yet. This not yet, be- not yet. But I'm sure he'll be sending a fundraising email off of you in some way, shape, or form at some point. I mean, they don't realize also, you know. And I said this to you, uh, and we'll get to this later. You know, I, I don't think they realize necessarily who they were engaging with because your popularity, you know, as a fan, as a friend. As, as a guy who's had you on my show, you know, your popularity spans, right? I mean, you've got the Sons of Anarchy crowds, and then you've got the really diehard, uh, like the, the comic book folks who are into Hellboy, right? And, and then you go way, way back to like Beauty and the Beast, right? So like, you know, literally my mom, me, my son, my father, all different generations and different demographics and politics know you and your work. Do you think they knew that when they picked a fight with you on Twitter? I don't, I can't, I, it, you know, it, it, it defies logic. It definitely defies logic when, okay, you come at me and, you know, you're, you're, you're gathering all your little tropes, you know, your little Hollywood dog whistle and your little, like, you know, you, 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 you piece of shit. You know, you talk about gun control and how you hate violence and you, you play Clay Morrow on Sons of Anarchy for eight seasons with six seasons. But I like to pad my resume still to this day. <laughs> But anyway, um, I felt like he, he, he thought that there was gold in them, their hills. There was something that would resonate with his, with the people who he wants to pull the wool over, you know? And, and so that was what probably instigated the initial foray into this. But when the first thing that the guy who you coming after <laughs> says to you, um, it's really fun to play an asshole on television. Let me ask you, sir, what's it like to actually be one? And you keep coming back. There's something going down there that's like. Well, you know, it's, the, it's, it's, huh? yeah, it's arrogance, right? Like that's part of what you reveal is this arrogance. Um, you know, it's 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 the guys who don't wear jackets to hearings. It's the guys who refuse to wear masks. You know, Matt, Matt Gates. I, I got a bone to pick with him because this is the guy who organized a group of congressmen, cong- representatives, to storm a skiff room at the White House, which is a secure room, yes. right? Where you generally discuss national security and 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 confidential issues. They right. stormed it in this political stunt. He's the same right. guy who wore the gas mask in a hearing. You know, he's a provocateur. Like he he's right. trying to get those likes. He's trying to get. That, that traction on Fox, he's kind of built a name for himself doing that, right? And, I, and I, yeah. you know, he hasn't been in Congress long, I think since 2017. You know, he, he, it seems like he's constantly auditioning for a Fox News show. And so he engages with you, you watch The Sopranos, you go to bed, and you wake up, and on... Uh, I don't, I don't wake up. You don't Before wake I go up. to bed. 12.40 Eastern Time, 12.48 a.m., right? Ted Cruz pops in. And I'm not going to do a Ted Cruz voice, but he says, listen, Hellboy, you talk good game when you got Hollywood makeup and stuntmen, but I'll give $10,000 to the non-political charity of choice that you couldn't last five minutes in a wrestling ring with Jim Jordan without getting pinned. You up for it? Or does your publicist say, too risky? <laughs> and you wrote back, I'll tell you what, Teddy Boy, since mentioning Jim Jordan and wrestling is problematic... Why don't we say fuck him and just make it you and me? I'll give 50K to Black Lives Matter and you can keep all the taxpayer money you were thinking of spending. So now Ted Cruz is tapping in. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's going on in your house and mine when this happens? I thought I was out of saliva. It starts <laughs> flowing all over me. I said, this is really too fucking good. Because if, if there's two 
TV villains who happen to be, you know, in suits representing, you know, the American public, you know, in legislative garb that you want to fuck with. It's that Gates, you know, little bitch, little rich little bitch whose daddy did everything for him, including pay for um, this is the one thing he doesn't mention. Those three times he got elected, he ran on a post. He still needed his dad's money to, to win, even running on a post. But anyway, getting back to And then there's Ted Cruz, who every single sniveling, smarmy piece of shit thing that comes out of his mouth, you want to punch him right in the fucking face. And I don't think it's politically correct to actually say that these days anymore. But since it's just you and me, you know, I mean, you really want to punch them up. And there we go. He comes right into my living room. And I'm, I'm going, I turn to, you know, my girl and I go, what is it with these people? This is like, are they for real? They actually think that this is smart politics to like go up against a guy who, who, you know, let's face it. I mean, at being 70 years old, I technically retired five years ago. I have nothing left to prove to the world at all. I, you know, everything I do right now is like, you know, you know, pure labor of love and like, you know, like shit that I never could say when I was younger and gave a shit about careers and, and you know, what my station was in Hollywood. Not, not it, you know, let her rip it. And he's already seen this go down all day long with Matt Gates, you know, and he comes right in. And, you know, it's now late and, and I'm a little buzzed. So, you know, I, I, I come out with like a, a nice one-two punch. Is this really Ted Cruz? The guy who, you know, little Donnie called his wife a dog and called his yeah. ass and not kisses. Can I get your autograph? And then he challenges me to the thing with Jim Jordan. And I, I said what you read. And I went to sleep. And I didn't know when I woke up, there'd be more Ted Cruz waiting for me. And then the next morning at 7.47 a.m., uh, Ted Cruz writes back, I get it, you're rich, but apparently soft. You, see, you sure seem scared to wrestle Jordan, who you keep insulting, can't take the heat, need to get a manicure. Well, what, was, what, was, what were you thinking when Ted Cruz was asking about your, your, your manicure? He also mentioned I should check with my, my publicist about some, was that, or was that in the other tweet? Uh, I don't know. Might have been. Might have been. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite, favorite thing is when uh, anyone assumes how much money you have because you're an actor. You know, that's my favorite thing. So right off the bat, you know, him and me are like, we're, we're really, <laughs> we're really ready to be, you know, to on, 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 on even, even footing. Um, and the other thing is, of course, I don't have a publicist, so, uh, uh, but it was like, again, the, the uh, almost too good to be true, you know, in a lot of ways, because here's another, you know, the bases are loaded, you know, it's bottom of the ninth, and some guy comes in and throws hanging curveballs, you know, it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, Jesus. Um, but the fact that um, it ended the way it ended on Saturday night, and then I wake, or was, or was it Sunday night? I can't even remember. 
And then I wake up Monday morning and there's more Ted with the same old hackneyed kind of like you Hollywood elitists, you know, you're you and your manicures and your publicists yeah. and you're this and you're that and, and your bleeding heart, tree hugging bullshit. You know, you know, it's they they deal in these um everything is is sort of marketed like pre there's no humanity there there's no there's no dealing with humans like they're humans which opens up the door as far as i'm concerned to like saying listen if only one of us is gonna you know cover the humanity portion of this conversation <laughs> i guess it's gonna have to be me um so that's kind of what i was thinking and then and then he, um, he throws in you know he, he volunteers jordan to wrestle you which I, I mean, I can't let that go, right? Like, I got to give you a chance to expand on that. So, you know, you basically said, let's get back to business. Jim Jordan's too easy, just a little bitch. And then you, you touched on something important. No, no, no. Before that one yeah, yeah. was when I actually responded to right. the fact that he challenged me to a wrestling match, but not with him. Right, with another guy. You said, uh, Teddy, Teddy. What kind of motherfucker offers to have another guy, probably asleep at the time, kick another guy's ass? <laughs> Which is the question America was seems to be asking because you know in the aftermath of all this, that's one of the one of the, those those resonant moments of this exchange that Twitter the Twitterverse seemed to really enjoy like revisiting like like and the artwork that's been flowing in you know <laughs> of people's representation of Ted Cruz challenging me, challenging me to a fight, but not with him, but with a guy who's asleep at the time, who has right. no idea, you know, he, you know, he's, he's, he, his name is being intoned. Um, and to a wrestling match, which is, yeah. which is a choice, probably not a place that Jordan wants to go. Right. Given, given his, his strange uh, connections to wrestling. He's, what is he, he's a former wrestling coach, right? Right. And, and then there were, you know, allegations that he knew about, uh, you know, potential assaults or impropriety that were happening in, in the school he was coaching, but probably not something Jordan wants to bring up or challenge, right? Like he would much rather play, you know, beer pong or Parcheesi or Rummy Cube or something if it was right. going to be a challenge against you, probably not wrestling, right? Right, right. Which was something else we implied, which, you know, I would have been, I would have been happy if there was some sort of a, a debate on the merits, but it was just a, just a bunch. And the takeaway from all of this is, um, well, part of the takeaway because there's there's a lot to unpack. But is um, there is no engaging? There's just a bunch of. Uh, it seems like there's a bunch of landmines being planted for him to cash in on that he hopes I step on that will gain him some sort of. So everything is in complete um, political capital kind of currency where it's all about who's, who can score points. But for me, who is a guy who's been watching Ted Cruz walk through you know, his neighborhoods in New York and have nothing but disparaging things to say about New York and the slime and the grit, you know, and like the, you know, all of the bullshit that spews out of him. This was an opportunity for me to talk man to man. Mm. And uh, I loved it. I mean, I loved it. I didn't love it to the point where I wanted to turn it into a, a career or anything like that. Right. But, you know, there's so long you can get down and roll around in the shit before you start 
smelling like it, you know. Yeah, so, but, right, so the, the thing I want to drill down on is, is there's this idea that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the old tough guy thing. It's like, you know, my dad will beat up your dad or I could beat you up. It's so juvenile and, it, and it's so petty um, and, it, and it seems to be consistent, right? I mean, these are guys who take pages out of Trump's playbook where he's, you know, a fake tough guy, you know, getting into an argument with somebody like Jim Mattis, who is a you know, bona fide war hero and a decorated Marine, right? And, and so there's this idea that they're going to co-op toughness and they're tougher than you. And he takes on you, who's a Hollywood tough guy, but you're also, you know, you're a guy who's, who's made your way to where you are on grit and on hard work. And you didn't come from Beverly Hills. I mean, you, you worked your way up through that. So can you talk about, you know, just your view on, on this, this kind of um, the toxicity that exists right now and, and this ridiculous idea of what strength is and the fact that these guys were, were actually using that and trying to use you to, to, to further that kind of a demented agenda. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's actually heartbreaking to see what passes for manhood in this environment. And it's uh, equally heartbreaking to see what passes for the claim of what's patriotism and what's not patriotism. And, you know, um, it's, it's, um, it's one of the saddest times, I think probably, you know, in a century because um, it's turned into this, this game, this, this, mm. this, you know, these people are using um, a twisted version of Americanism, which is nothing short of fascism, nothing short of, you know, um, third rate banana Republic fascism. Um, and parading it as if it's part of the sinew that the founders were referring to when they defined how we were going to be as compared to everyone else. And it's, it's very heartbreaking. It's playing to um, a crowd that has already, and I think you and I have talked about this on many occasions, but it's playing to a crowd that um, in a lot of ways have been kind of left behind by globalism, by the internet, by the fact that, uh, you know, the, the things that would have supported them 40 or 50 years ago that they could have raised kids with and retired with, with, with dignity are gone, you know. Um, and they have all of this pent up anger and rage and it's being exploited by these guys, knowingly. That's the part of it that's diabolical, that's, mm. that's unforgivable. Guys like Ted Cruz know exactly what the fuck he's doing. Mm. Um, Trump, we'll get to in a second, because he, I, I, I can't, I can't, you know, as, as obsessed with him as I am, um, there's a lot about him that I just can't figure out because I think that I used to think that he had no core, but I've changed that. He does have a core. It's all hate. Mm. It's all wrapped in, in what he missed as a kid growing up. Not, you know, I mean, I'm going to, you know, I, I don't want to 
switch my psychiatrist hat on, but I mean, it's, it's obvious. And, and, and what I wanted to point out uh, earlier was, and when we were talking about how these guys kept coming back for more, and it was clearly punishment. I mean, you know, if you looked at their attacks on me and you looked at the responses, it was like, you, you really want to stand in the middle of the ring, not even do a rope a dope, just let your fucking head get pummeled like this and turn into a bloody pulp. And it makes you, the, the one thing that I do know about Trump is that um, he is obsessed with negative um, attention. Hmm. He, he if, 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 if there's any calculus to the, the image that he puts out, it's that he almost uh, strategically makes sure that he's the most reviled man in the world. Hmm. Because as long as he's getting attention, and that's obviously the only attention he was able to get, this is like my, you know, my, because I did take one semester of psychology at Lehman College in the Bronx. So, uh, you know, I think I really know about this. Yep. But Shout out to the Boogie Down Bronx, yeah. It's got to be that because that's, that's you know, every day you think that, you know, he's gone as low as he can go. And he figures out a way to go lower because he got all the attention he could out of the lowest he went yesterday. Right, right, right. right. And so it's not as if, you, you, you know, like he signed some bullshit thing yesterday because there's a gazillion people in the streets, you know, um, finally having had it with, you know, um, the result of, of, you know, uh, 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 what's it called? Systemized racism. Um, yeah. What's the word? What's the term? Systematic racism. Systematic yeah. racism. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they spewing out of it. And, you know, uh, that's a whole other, so we could spend a whole, other so hours. let me let me I, I want to come I want to come back to Trump in a second, but let's finish this. Right. So ultimately, um, you said to him, you know, forget the wrestling. Uh, I'll give fifty thousand dollars to Black Lives Matter and you can keep all the taxpayer money. But, um, you know, and, and then he went dark. Right. And it seems like they haven't responded to you since, you know, in, in the last couple of days. Um, I mean, what do you what do you think is it's, it feels to me like they realize they kind of hit a third rail, uh, that, that, that this isn't good for them, uh, that it's probably, you know, maybe a political consultant pulled him on the side and said, do you really know what shows this guy is on? Do you know who, who watches him? Do you know who follows him? And, and it seems like they've pulled back on that. Um, so what happens next? Um, you know, you're going to continue to throw punches. Um, I asked you this last time, but now the urgency is, 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 is even greater. Would you ever run for mayor of New York <laughs> or would you go down in Florida and primary gates or, uh, or move down to Florida and, and take on Cruz? No, I, I, I mean, you know, God bless you, Paul. I, I, I love you so much for even, you know, having it cross your mind that I would consider doing these things or that you can do mayor, man. You can definitely do mayor. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is we, we talked about this on the, on can't be any worse than de Blasio. There's no but way anybody could be worse than de Blasio. I mean, you know, I'm having such a great time in my career right now. I mean, I really, really love 
making movies and, and making television. And um, the role of being in a position where I'm among the storytellers, because that's a category in and of itself, mm. storytellers, you know. You, you see them in our literature, you see them in all of the offshoots of, of, uh, of our need to communicate with each other so that we understand that there's a commonality to what we're all going through. Mm. More that we have in common than that we have apart. And when storytelling, you know, began to find a footing in the, the day-to-day of, of our uh, you know, slog, uh, the reason why I feel like it became so revered is because it's, well, I don't, it's, a, it's to answer your question, no, I'm not running for shit. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I love being an actor. I love, I love being a storyteller. Um, I really, really love the impact that um, if I happen to be in, in something, because I've been in a lot of real stuff, I wouldn't even fucking watch. I wouldn't recommend anybody to watch. But every once in a while, you hit on something that resonates and, and that's good. And you see people's reactions and you see how with all the bullshit you and I are discussing here, you know, about solving the world's problems, you get into a discussion like that and you watch people just kind of like levitate a little bit. Yeah. Like forget their, their, the bullshit, forget, forget their differences, forget their problems, forget who they hate, who they love and why and how. And just like, oh man, there was a moment in that thing. You did that thing that was so fucking, you know, and like, to me, that's, that's the that's the the office that most I'm most willing to serve in. Can I can um, I ask Ron? Can I ask you one last thing before we wrap up it, it, that I think is important? You and I have talked about this a little bit offline about how important this moment is. And in the pod in the last couple of weeks, I've talked about how um, you know Black Lives Matter is has really changed the the country, right, and the trajectory, and it's a turning point. But the important role of white voices. Right of 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 white leaders uh, of of white organizers right in 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 showing and changing the idea that this is just a black movement it, it's a multiracial movement you're a guy who grew up in New York you understand race in ways that people probably don't know looking at you but do you have any thoughts on on this moment and on Black Lives Matter based off your your life experience which is really extensive. And anything that you wanna you wanna share with folks that you think's important. I mean, you and I had a, a beautiful conversation yesterday about um, what it is that fundamentally makes us the angry Americans that makes us get up every morning, turn on the news, and then figure out ways to spew on that and, and riff on that. And you know, it's this it's this recognition of how vast injustice takes place in this world and how justice is is not only not not always um received by the people who deserve it most if there's anything if there's any one thing that is the giant metaphor for all injustice it's the original sin of going to a country and stealing an entire race of people and bringing them here and kicking the fucking teeth in 
and making them work for free to build the United States. And then when they all got done doing that, figuring out a way to keep the slavery going on some other set of levels, mm. by keeping the ghetto going, by keeping, by jailing, by, you know, if you look at the, the statistics of who who's going to jail for what crimes, mm. you know, um, it's, it is systemic, this, 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 this tribal impulse that we have of needing to feel as white men and women that we're the master race, that we're the Aryans. Hmm. And there's nothing that makes you feel like that than having something that you can really hold down. And that's at the core of, of at the core of this thing that's exploding in our faces right now is that there's just it's it's heartbreakingly unjust hmm. what the black experience has been when it comes to you know their American history and um, so we we as, as as not just white people but I mean you know I, I, I hate to categorize anybody with a conscience anybody who cares about justice is obligated to shine a light on how intolerable that disparity is and how we're never ever going to have any kind of fairness or justice or live up to, you know, um, we the people in many one, all of those beautiful epithets that were part of the constitution um, until all men are created equal was not just something that all those white guys who were writing that who all owned slaves were writing for themselves, but it applies to, um, to all of us. Yep. And, um, you know, my, my whole thing, you know, is merit. If somebody deserves to rise in the society and, you know, go spread his wings as far as they could go, there should not be any predisposition, you know, um, what do they call it in the, in the, in the uh, Obamacare? Pre-existing, pre-existing no, condition. No pre-existing condition that makes for there to be two sets of standards. Mm. Mm. Or more than two, but yeah. definitely two. And um, and I know, I know you want to go, but I, I have a question for you. It's like the George Floyd thing, which was the tinder that lit the fire that we're now 29 days into having people on the streets or something yeah. like that, which I've never seen in my lifetime. You know, one of my early tweets in all this was, you know, this, this, this moment we're living in is the official end of the 48 hour news cycle where at the end of which you shake your head and go, oh, oh and then go about your business and nothing changes. It seems as though mm. there's a real opportunity here for some strange reason, even though we've seen it over and over and over again. You know, with George Zimmerman, with with so many guys getting yeah. shot in the back for doing nothing, with guys you know having fucking bags of cocaine dropped in their shirt, and a cop going, "Look, you're holding," you know, yeah. well, we've seen it over. But why now? What is it about this atmosphere? What is it about this climate? This is something that I ask myself um, a lot lately, where we finally said, "You know what? Enough." 
Mm-hmm. You want to beat our fucking heads in? You're going to have to beat us all in. You're going to have to beat us all in. And all yeah. those beautiful people who are out on the streets, they're white, they're brown, they're yellow, they're red. And a lot of them are getting their heads beaten. Yep. And they keep coming out. And it's a beautiful fucking thing. And I don't know why it's now, but I'm grateful for it. And um, yeah, I feel as though this is an opportunity if we don't, if we don't really, really make systemic change now, we're never going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I'm with you on that. I mean, why now? Why this? I, I don't know. I mean, historians will unpack it, but just the confluence of events of, of the repeated killings, you know, the, the public nature of them, you know, compounded by Trump and Trumpism and compounded by the pandemic that disproportionately impacts black people and people of color. I mean, it, it all came together in a, in a perfect storm, if you will, or like a, a transformational storm. And, you know, we're still understanding. I think, you, I think your point about the, tw- the 48 hour, 24 hour, 72 hour news cycle, um, you know, this kind of blowing that apart, I think it's really important. I think that's right. Um, because it's not over. It just keeps, and, and that's movement, right? It, it continues to evolve and it continues to morph and it continues to move forward. And that's, that's true movement change in, in, you know, in, in the framework of the civil rights movement and so many others. So this is, this is more than a moment. It's a movement and it's a culmination of movements that came together in, in a moment that, that is, that could be, you know, the new normal, right? In the same way the pandemic is the new normal, you know, today Reed Hastings donated $120 million to historic black colleges. Like the, 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 the transformational changes, the corporate changes that are happening and the speed at which they're happening is, is surprising and, and so long overdue. I mean, today, Mitch McConnell said he's open to changing uh, the, the names of military bases named after Confederate generals and traitors. I mean, that, the idea that that would have happened a couple of weeks ago is unimaginable, but it's a testament to the activists. That's where I go back to, Ron. Like, it's a testament to the activists who are on the front lines. It's not about the politicians. It's not about the people running for president. It's about the activists and the organizers and the folks who get their heads beat in um, and the folks who, who, who tep- take a step forward and, and, and push for change. The cops who, who raised a hand and turn in their, their, their partners who are doing the wrong thing, right? It's on all sides and it's happening and, and it's inspiring. I mean, it's given us some hope for the future, but you got to go through that shit to get there. Um, and so I want to ask you to talk about one last thing because it's Father's Day coming up. You're a dad. You've played a dad. You've, you know, you, you, any, any wisdom or, or thoughts as Father's Day approaches? All I ever really wanted um, at the end of the day, um, of course, I want my kids, I want every kid to find something that he loves as much as I love what I do. And then he'll never work a day in his life. That's important. So if you can instill in your kids the, the importance, the urgency of finding something that you do better than anybody else and that you love so much that you would do it for free, mm. that's job one. Um, for guys like you and me, um, I realized early on, the only thing I can leave my kids is their ability to say, my old man, you know, he didn't leave anything in the bag. He stood, he stood, he, 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 he stood for shit. Sometimes he got his head bashed in, but you know, he stood for something. And if you can teach your kids that we're all responsible for whatever world we're living in, none of us ever, ever, ever 
should seek solace in victimhood or blaming it on a system that doesn't work. But instead, rolling up your sleeves and saying, how can I help? What can I do today that moves the needle a little bit? Um, I'm not sure that that was your question. No, that's it, man. That That's the right note to to, to, to grab on, man. About parenthood. And, and no, that's it, man. My that, children are, are, you know, I married a black lady. My children are black. And I, I really, you know, um, their experience is way different than mine. And it's been incredibly eye-opening. And Can I ask you, Ron, like, you know, how many times has it happened in your life where white people are talking to you not knowing you have black kids. I mean, that, that's a very unique experience. I mean, most of the time, right? Um, like, you know, when-, when All the time, except for a, a tiny little group of people who are my friends who know me, but no, because I've, I've always kept my personal life as my personal life. None of it's ever made it into the press and, you know, deliberately. Um, but um, yeah, I've heard every kind of joke you can tell. Yeah. You know, good old boy shit, you know, like acting like I'm one of them. And, you know, yeah. Uh, very few people know that that's my, my, you know, that's my history. That's my, you know. I mean, I think it, 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 it underscores why this is, a, I think, an important moment for your voice. Why yeah, your, your patriotism and your creativity and your take no shit attitude and, you know, you don't take yourself too seriously in an environment where so many people do is it's refreshing. It's inspiring. You keep it real. I love how you represent for New York. Um, you know, I'm grateful for your friendship. I'm grateful for your activism. You know, you and I are cooking some stuff up. So I, I tell people to stay tuned. I'm excited to, to do more with you. Um, when you came on last time, I did not get to do the presentation of the gifts, which kind of came a little bit afterwards. So I'm going to do it quickly. Right. And yeah. you don't know. So you got some angry Americans gear, which you have. Right. And you were, I think, our first celebrity uh, endorser. You were great. You rocked the angry Americans gear. So I'm going to get you some more of that. Uh, we have the Bravo Sierra gift pack that'll be coming your way. You know, military inspired uh, uh, grooming and wellness stuff. You got some deodorant and some antibacterial wipes in case you do have to wrestle with any dirty politicians. You'll be able to cleanse yourself thoroughly afterward. And then uh, I've been giving out Uncle Nearest uh, because of the great story of, of Nearest Green and our friend Jeffrey Wright. So that is the appropriate American whiskey, I think, to give to you. And you didn't get the peeps question. You didn't get the peeps question because I think it started after I had you on the first time. So, Ron Perlman, three colors of peeps, pink, blue, yellow. Which color would you choose and why? First of all, give me a little background. Like, what are peeps? Peeps, you know what peeps are. Like, you know, the, 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 these things, the yellow. I'm showing the screen right now for the folks who want to check the video later. Oh. The Easter uh, candies that look like, uh, you know, soft congressman uh <laughs> if you were gonna eat them you've you've seen them in a, in a i have eaten them actually and i don't know i don't know why you know uh for some strange reason we'll have to analyze this later on but you know yellow that's it that's it I go for the yellow peeps that's it. So the bonus question for repeat uh, 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 visitors to the show, a show I use when I host on the radio sometimes. This is a quick one. Pancakes or waffles? If you had to pick pancakes or waffles, which one would you pick? 
pancakes. Why? Great memories of making them with my own man. There you go. Pancakes. Tell me how to eat pancakes. Pancakes. Tell me how much butter to put on where, between, underneath, how much syrup to put on. We had some great times eating pancakes. That's it. That's a perfect. I don't against waffles, but that's an emotional kind of recall. I love it. There is no third party option in that in that in that in that choice. I think it's a great ending to a Father's Day conversation. I so appreciate you sitting down with us to take us on this wild journey you're on and, and going forward. My, my dear friend, Ron Perlman, you are a great American. You are a great inspiration. And I can't wait to see what comes next. You are a great American. And, and uh, I love you, Paul. I really do. Thank you for, thank for all the generosity for letting me, me uh, kind of uh, draft off of you, if you will. Every once in a while. It's a Anytime, my man. Anytime. And if you need a tag team partner, look, I'm not fucking around. Me, like you and me uh, against, you know, uh, you know, Cruz and Getz. Like, just tell them you're tapping me. <laughs> I don't know if you want to make that announcement because I'll never get another tweet again. <laughs> I'm ready, man. I'm ready for the wrestling match. I'm ready for the ping pong match. I'll play them in Rummy Cube. I'll, I've been playing a lot of Rummy Cube in the pandemic, man. And, uh, you know, all, 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 all proceeds go to Black Lives Matter or to other charities, man. Beautiful. Ladies Thank and gentlemen, the great and powerful Ron Perlman, live from the arena everywhere he is, whether it's in a car, in L.A., or on Twitter, he's fighting the good fight. The great and powerful Ron Perlman, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Paul. All right, if you have a dad, if you are a dad, if you know a dad, Dads want to simplify without sacrificing performance. And that's where Bravo Sierra comes in. Bravo Sierra, highly effective, non-toxic grooming products that stand the test of the most active lifestyle. And nothing's more active than being a dad. It's an ass kicker for me, the likes of which I have never seen. And Bravo Sierra understands that. They focus on family and they have pioneered an unprecedented large-scale testing program with 1,000 U.S. military service members and their communities with a simple idea. If the products work for them, they will work for all of us. And Bravo Sierra gives back 5% of all sales to support programs for active duty service members, vets, and their families. They support dads. They are dads. And you will feel clean. You will look good. And you will smell great all day long with products that are healthy, high quality, and affordable. Men's Health Magazine called it a game-changing grooming line. And that's what it is. It comes in the coolest packaging you've ever seen. And it's affordable. Almost everything on the website is under 15 bucks. And if you miss Father's Day, you can get it afterward and stock up for next year or stock up for the summer or stock up for the pandemic or stock up for the next wave. But their unscented deodorant is my new favorite. Aluminum-free, baking soda-free deodorant. It smells great. It's hardworking, long-lasting sweat protection. It does not stain your clothes. And if you don't like it, you get your money back. No questions asked. You can't beat that. So go to bravosierra.com. Check them out if you haven't already and get the grooming essentials that are field-tested by members of the U.S. military made in the USA and kicking ass just like this show. They've got great products to wash your hands, to wash your body, to wash your hair. And if you go to Bravo Sierra right now, you can get two free tactical showers. How cool is a tactical shower? That means wherever you are, you can take a shower and not smell funky and not be funky. 
So be like Ron Perlman, be like Flo Groberg, be like me, be like lots of dads who have checked out the grooming essentials that are field tested by members of the U.S. military from Bravo Sierra. BravoSierra.com, BravoSierra.com. There's plenty of reason to be angry now for everyone everywhere, but there's also a way to turn it, a way to channel it, a way to harness it, a way to carve it into impact. It's time to turn that anger, sadness, frustration, inspiration, and agony into positive impact. It's time to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Every show, I offer a way to convert your righteous, understandable anger into positive action. A positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that will channel your energy, make you feel good, and make a difference. And like all of this show, our actions are always jam-packed with the four I's. Integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. I've never had a greater responsibility than being a dad. And I've never had a harder job or a more important one. Every day, I'm grateful that somehow these two amazing little boys came into my life. I'm beyond lucky to have them. And they're fortunate to have their mom and me to have any father. Every Father's Day, we salute all the dads, all the good dads, all the striving dads, all the dads we've had, known, or aspired to be like and so many that have inspired us over the course of this show. And so this Father's Day, I want to give you a way to support fathers. And New York Times columnist Nick Kristoff gave me a good suggestion. The National Fatherhood Institute. If you go to fatherhood.org, it works to support dads and keep them engaged in their children's lives. There's evidence that absent fathers create a vicious cycle. You know the deal. Boys who grow up without positive male role models get into trouble and then often become absentee fathers themselves. So the National Fatherhood Institute is the nation's leading nonprofit organization working to end father absence. They want to create a world where every child has a 24-7 dad. Underlying many of our pressing challenges are the lack of a father's involvement in kids' lives. The National Fatherhood Initiative wants every child to grow up with an involved, responsible, and committed father. And they focus on a lot of topics like family history, being a man and a dad, handling emotions, grief and loss, health, you and your mom, talking with mom, co-parenting, fathering skills, child development, child discipline, sexuality, intimacy, work-family balance, managing money. These are all the subjects that they cover and they teach dads about. So check out fatherhood.gov. And as we approach Father's Day, I also think about the fact that not every kid has a dad. So in this episode, I also want you to focus your angry action in another area. Check out Big Brothers and Big Sisters of America, bbbs.org. That's bravo, 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 sierra.org. Big Brothers and Big Sisters is always eager to positively impact a child and improve their community at the same time. And Big Brothers especially are in high demand. For just a few hours, a couple of times a month, you can give a little, they call the mentees littles and the mentors bigs, but you can give a little, the invaluable gift of your friendship. 
just by changing their perspective on what the world can offer, you can literally start changing their life. You can play a board game. You can make some fun crafts. You can go to the playground together when they're reopened. But just as your options are unlimited, so is your little's potential. And you can go to bbbs.org to find out more. If you're ready to be a big, you just fill out their simple online form. And after you complete it, a Big Brothers Big Sister staff member will contact you. So many bigs tell people that it's the best decision they ever made. So what are you waiting for? And if you know someone who would make a great big brother, at Big Brothers and Big Sisters, they're always looking for more men to be mentors. They have boys ready and waiting to be matched with a role model. So tell the guys you know to sign up to become bigs. They can do all the fun things they love to do already, like watch movies, play video games, go hiking. Only now they get to do it and enjoy it with a child who can truly benefit from it. More than 70% of their children waiting for a big are boys, but only three out of every 10 volunteers are men. Research shows that having the positive influence of a big brother makes a tremendous difference in a boy's life. So you can join the hundreds of thousands of volunteers who give a young person somebody to look up to. You can get involved, you can volunteer, you can give. If you make a donation, your support funds the careful one-on-one matching and ongoing professional mentoring support that's unique to Big Brothers and Big Sisters. Your gift helps match a child with an adult mentor. And your gift today will lead to better outcomes for our nation's children tomorrow. And especially in the pandemic, even though these are uncertain times, their bigs are more committed to their littles than ever. They need your support in helping littles stay connected to the bigs. Help us defend the potential of youth nationwide. Help us create a new generation of leaders, of helpers, of fighters, and of fathers. Go to bigbrothersbigsisters.org and get involved. BBB.org. And if you got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media and use the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Don't just be angry, be active. Whoa, daddy. All right. Big thanks to a few folks that helped make this episode happen. Of course, the big daddy himself, Ron Perlman. He is a force of nature. Watch him in everything. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram and stay tuned. Me and Ron and the Righteous team are cooking some stuff up. So stay tuned. Me and Ron are hatching a plan and it's going to be good. And... Huge thanks to the entire Righteous Media team, Mighty Mercy Rich, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, excellent Eric Carlson, and the team at Bravo Sierra that always has our back, especially around Father's Day coming up this weekend. Check out bravosierra.com backslash angry Americans if you need a last minute gift, or even if it comes late and you forgot about Father's Day, better late than never. Check out bravosierra.com. Massive shout out to our Patreon members. You all have been awesome. So thanks to the vigilant, the very vigilant, the most vigilant. I've been giving them sneak peeks on who our guests are behind the scenes. We'll be doing some Zooms coming up. And maybe most of all, you help keep this independent media coming. A lot of media companies are getting hammered right now. And we want to hang in there. We want to stay strong and we want to stay independent. So if you become a Patreon member... Even at the lowest level, you will help us keep this content coming and help us keep it independent. So look for Angry Americans on Patreon. We also have a link in the description wherever you got this pod or, of course, at angryamericans.us. And go to Angry Americans to find video of this interview with Ron and video of all our recent episodes. You can see inside my garage and you can see inside Ron's house. 
Coming up next episode, we're going to have a special focus on Pride. So stay tuned for that. And of course, we'll rip through the latest in America. But we are going to dig down as Pride Month rolls on. So happy Pride to everybody out there. And speaking of happy, I got some good news. I got some good, good news to share with you. Thanks to your support and thanks to our hard work, we got upgraded. As I told you, there is a Twitter account called Room Raider that rates the Skype backgrounds and Zoom backgrounds of anybody who was on TV during the pandemic. And I initially got a very unfair 7 out of 10. Despite the Camaro, despite the American whiskey, despite the peeps, despite the monster trucks, despite all the little Easter eggs that I had in my awesome backdrop, Room Raider only gave me a 7 out of 10. But after much lobbying, after much work, after much advocacy, after many of you sounding off, and after my recent appearance on MSNBC, Room Raider has decided to upgrade me. I have been upgraded to an 8, an 8 out of 10. I still think it's too low. I think there's too much emphasis on potted plants and fancy kitchens and not enough on garages and cars and whiskey. But we have good news. People power has prevailed, and we have been upgraded at least by one point to an 8 out of 10. I'm going to keep working at it. Thanks for your support. Hopefully, we will get a 10 out of 10 next time. Speaking of media, big thanks to Chris Cuomo and the team at SiriusXM Channel 124 POTUS. Uh, he had me on as a guest last week on Let's Get After It to talk about Trump at West Point and the ongoing battle between Trump and the generals. Uh, great to see Chris continuing to do well and feel well. He's inspiring, and you can go back and check out the episode when he joined us here on the pod. Also, big thanks to Eamon Moyeldin. He had me on MSNBC last Friday. He was filling in for Ari Melber on the beat, uh, and we had a great conversation about about the military issues, about the divide between Trump and the military, about General Milley's comments. And I'm hoping Eamon will join us in the future. He is one of the first Western journalists to enter and report on the handing over and trial of Saddam Hussein. Uh, really interesting guy. He covered the Gaza War and the Arab Spring. And he also happens to be friends with Mazdak Rossi, founder of Milk, and our guest back in episode 41. So my thanks to Eamon. And as summer hits, I want to send a shout out to Radio Woodstock, 100.1 in New York. You can find them at RadioWoodstock.com. Maybe the best independent radio station in America. It's just unbelievably good. Invaluable to me and our family, especially during the pandemic. So check them out. No matter where you live, you can check them out at RadioWoodstock.com or on iHeartRadio, and you'll be glad you did. They're not a sponsor. I just dig the hell out of this station, and I want to share it. So please support them if you can too. throw them a couple bucks and spread the word and it's time to spread my thanks it's time to thank a listener every week i thank a few angry americans just for listening and i make them famous i'll make you famous I always want to hear from you. We do have a hotline, 833-33-ANGRY, 833-33-ANGRY. Sound off and let us know what you think, who you want to see as a guest, what makes you angry, and I'll make you famous. Call, tweet, and post on social, and I will do it. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it.
Big thanks to Mike Berry in Gothenburg, Sweden. He sent a note saying, great show this week. One Soul Brother was fascinating to listen to. Amazing person and life story. Thanks to you for just letting him talk with minimal interruptions and questions. A fascinating human. Lots of tremendous feedback from my conversation with Wayne Smith. I'm so glad you all got a chance to know him, to get to know him, but it will be the first of of many conversations. But uh, check out Wayne Smith on all your socials if you're new here and you didn't check it out. Wayne is a legendary activist and a man of the moment, a person we can learn tremendous amounts from. So I was very happy to share that and great to see so much great feedback including Counting Days to November 3rd or Earth Lover 7887, who's out in Wisconsin. Uh, Earth Lover was given a shout-out also to the Wayne Smith episode and our friend Vonnie Schallenberger down in Fort Worth, Texas. What's up, Vonnie? Thank you for always having our back. Uh, Vonnie said, I've said this several times, but your interview with Wayne Smith has been my absolute favorite of all time. What an amazing man. Great musical taste, too. Listen all my tweets to the the Angry Americans podcast. And she said, no kidding, toward the end, I thought Paul was going to have him back. And 30 seconds later, you said exactly that. The pod was an intro to Wayne Smith. You all now know the Oracle. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and check the last episode out. It will bring you all the four eyes, and you will want to share it. But the great and powerful Wayne Smith is an incredible American, and I'm so glad you all liked it. You'll hear from him again soon. And if you have other guest suggestions, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. I love hearing them. I love all your suggestions. Keep that feedback coming. Use the hashtag AngryAmericans. Sound off. I am always grateful for the feedback and grateful to you. And I am especially grateful to my family. As this Father's Day comes up, I am grateful to my wife and my amazing two little boys, our little lion and our baby bear. Summer is here and they are wide open. And I have an update. The baby robins have left the nest. We started with three eggs And sadly, we lost one of them along the way. We don't know where the chick went. But amazingly, two of them stood up and flew out of the nest the other day. The boys saw it. We got to witness it. It was amazing. And the boys are now ready for summer, pandemic style or whatever. My big boy has graduated from virtual pre-K, and he is ready for taekwondo and fishing and lots of scooting and biking and monster trucks. And my little guy is ready to run after my big guy nonstop, eat a ton, and never sleep. But they are so much fun, and I am so grateful to both of them and to Lori for always bringing the happiness and the joy uh, that we will celebrate, not just on Father's Day, but every day. I'm truly honored to be your dad, guys. They give me the energy and the joy and the fire to fight through the storms, even when it's hard. And it's especially hard for dads during this pandemic. It's been rough. It's been hard for moms, too. But right now, it's been really uniquely difficult for dads. So if you're out there struggling through this time as a dad, I feel you. Um, But know that you've never been more important. And please keep bringing that energy. Please keep bringing the calm. Please keep bringing the positive attitude to your children and to each other. And look out for each other as fathers, as mothers, as friends. If you're out in the streets, especially look out for each other. Whether you're a protester, a cop, a National Guard soldier, a member of the media, whatever you're doing, stay frosty out there and be kind to each other. 
And please continue to tell your friends to check this podcast out. If you're on an Apple device, leave the show a quick review. It really does help. It is free. So all you got to do is subscribe now and you'll have it hot and ready and waiting for you every Thursday. Our numbers continue to go up big time. Welcome to everybody that's new here. Uh, that's a longtime follower of Ron Perlman. I hope you'll stick around and share this with your friends and keep that feedback coming on social media. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. And go to Angry Americans for all of our archives, all of our past shows the video of Ron Perlman and all our past guests and you can sign up for our newsletter and no matter what happens with the pandemic and the protests and the election we will continue to adapt improvise and overcome stay tuned subscribe for free and share and we will keep this movement growing week by week and it's okay to be angry especially now and no you're not alone we're all a little angry That's because we are paying attention. We are definitely paying attention. Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America, and stay frosty. Every day, in every way, it's getting better and better.